Hi everyone and thank you so much for tuning into Grow With Grief, a podcast that aims to make the uncomfortable comfortable and open up the conversations around grief and loss. My name is Katrina and together we will be hearing different stories from different people, how grief has impacted their life and what they've learned from it. And together we will create a community that normalizes the conversations around grief and loss. I am so pumped to be sharing this conversation with you today as we speak with an intuitive reader, mindset coach, speaker and life lover. Adriana is a bright spark with a big heart and bubbly personality. She is dedicated to helping individuals find clarity, alignment and soul inspired action from a place of love and empowerment. Through her own experiences and intuitive gifts, she helps individuals overcome limiting beliefs and trauma so that they can take their power back and create life on their own terms. In this conversation, we talk all about things, finding peace, unlearning tools and tendencies, grieving in a healthy way, loss of identity, and so much more. Can't wait for you to hear this conversation, so I'm going to let it get started. I would say hi, Adriana. I'm so excited to be having you on here to share this conversation. How are you today? Thank you for having me. So great. Thank you so much. Um, so for anybody that doesn't know you, if you could just start off by sharing your story and your background to how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, I guess it's always funny being asked that question because I'm like, well, in a nutshell, my last <laughs> crazy 10 years have looked like. Um, so I always feel like it kind of, you know, it started so young for me, I suppose. But I feel like really when I was um, 18 and my dad passed away from terminal cancer was really this turning point for me in my life. It was that moment of like, who am I? What do I want to do? I didn't expect this. I pictured my life this way. Now it's going this way. And from there, I ended up actually becoming, I feel like overly ambitious, um, which I guess leads me to where I am, you know, now. But before this, I was running a fashion label and I actually ran a fashion label. I started at 21. So a few years after my dad had passed, I named the label after him. It did really well um we went global it was at a really exciting point and then i was like i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to be in this industry anymore i don't want to be in this business anymore um and it was like this point of loss all over again and that was a few years ago now probably about two years ago and then from there I was like okay again who am I what do I want from my life this isn't what I expected there's a theme (laughs) um and then from there I realized I wanted to be in service and I was really really passionate about supporting people and being in more of this environment where I get to talk with them and be one-on-one. And around this point of my life, I realized that I had some skills that were untapped. Um, And at that point, I realized I could do a few things that could really support people. One was show people how to run business and grow business because I had done it many times before. Another was how to overcome trauma because I had done that many times before. And then to make it all really interesting, I found out that I was psychic and a medium and um, could read energy points and cue even more loss of identity in that point. Because at that point, I felt like 
again, this is who I thought I was, what I thought I was meant to be doing, and who am I now, and identity crisis, and I think that's a really big part of my journey was unlearning and becoming who I was meant to be and who I'm learning, who I am right now. So from there, I started the business I have today, um, which is supporting people with both the energy work and the business work um, and bloody learning a lot as I go. So that's a bit of a nutshell on how it all came about and how I'm here today. <laughs> wow, you wrapped that up really, really well. Um, you've obviously practiced that a lot. <laughs> um, so I think what's really important to note here is in that, in that short snippet of the last 10 years of your life, um, you've experienced lots of different forms of loss. You know, you've experienced the loss through the death of your father, experienced loss of identity. Can you touch on a little bit about your dad and what that whole experience was like for you? Um, mm. And then we'll talk about the other areas afterwards. Yeah, so interesting. So I guess what fascinates me the most, I say fascinates now because, you know, I've had time to kind of reflect upon it all, but is that he was such a difficult person to live with. And I know a lot of people have um, uh, trauma with parents who are currently here and then they have trauma with parents who are no longer here uh, that have passed either from from death or through lack of contact, um, abandonment and things like that. And for me, it was this lifetime of trauma, of hurt, of abandonment, of managing his emotional illnesses, uh, managing his depression, um, and then managing his thoughts of suicide, managing his thoughts of extreme depression, and learning how to regulate that as a child, that this wasn't about me, this was about you. But unconsciously in my mind, always making it mean that this means you don't love me, that this means you don't need me, that I'm not enough. And then when he was diagnosed officially with stage four cancer in his bones, liver, brain, and uh, every, almost every part of his, his body, his lungs, um, it was this moment of, but you spent your whole life not really wanting to be here, but you spent your whole life burdening us or making us feel like a burden. And now you're going and it's that choice is taken away from you. It's taken away from us because it's just happening. And I think he really grappled with that as well. So on top of this death of him through cancer, it was this grief of, I can't resolve my trauma with you now. I can't be angry at you for being so angry your entire life and wanting to not be here. And then it got taken away from you anyway. Mm-hmm. And that just never made sense to me. How does that happen? And that added this whole other layer of overcoming the grief. And in the end, um, we were told he had two years and within three months, uh, he actually got pneumonia and that was it. Within three days of getting pneumonia, we sat in the hospital and I remember it all too well, that out of body experience, which, you know, I know you and many of your listeners know all too well. And I was like, this isn't me. This isn't my life. I I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this. 
Um, and then the months that followed were confusing and dark and scary, as were the years and years that followed little to my knowledge of knowing it would be that way. And then came that want to heal from the trauma and that just had this whole other element um, to losing him. So it was so much more complicated than being like, oh, you had cancer and you passed. It had all these layers of, of his depression and all of that through it as well, which was really interesting to navigate. Mm-hmm. And, and do you think you could shed a bit of light on how you were able to move through that for anybody who may be listening, who is experiencing a similar situation? Yeah, moving through the... I mean, I'll, I'll say a few bits on moving through all the parts because there's all a little different. I mean, they end up the same, but I think the moving through the trauma part was really important because it gave me permission to look at what was underneath and not until we're ready, you know, when that old saying of when the, when the students arrive ready, the teacher appears. Um, and it was that concept of I wasn't ready to look at it in those first few years, but when I was ready, I could really go deep into what was underneath, what was underneath, what was underneath, instead of trying to sugarcoat all of that, you know, with, oh, but he passed, so it's hard. It was, it's more than that a lot of the time. It's shedding that light on those really shadowy parts of your upbringing of what you're making that loss mean and really going into the shadow fully leaning in so we don't have to stay there I find sometimes when we go in just a little we're kind of avoiding the really really deep dark bit but once I went into the deepest darkest parts when I felt ready when I felt safe when I felt supported I could then move into the light more, more completely. But without having gone into that part, I don't think it would have been fully possible. And then in terms of death as, as I guess, a whole in, in the essence of his passing, it was coming to terms with that everything was exactly where it was meant to be and exactly how it was meant to be. And again, that took time. And I think, you know, a friend called me the other day and she's experienced a loss recently and she's like, but you make it look so easy. And I said, this is me eight years later. You know, this isn't me a few months later, a few years later, eight years. This is all the waves and all the things that you don't show people. This is all the going into the deepest part of the shadows that other people don't see. So I feel they are some big parts on shedding that light and knowing that it takes time. I wish I knew. I wish I knew how much time it took and that it constantly changes form and shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so true that I think there's a bit of a misconception that when we experience grief or trauma or loss that we have to straight away get into this place of understanding or finding meaning or whatever it may be for us or acceptance but actually we need to experience all of those emotions that come with it we need to lean into what it is that we're feeling before we can get to that point and that can take a very long time you know a very very long time even when you feel that you've got there you're still going so. Yeah, I think that's the best way to explain it. When you feel like you're there, you're probably only halfway. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. And I think that there's such power. I hear it all the time, especially in my line of work, when people say, I'm over it, but I'm over it. 
And I always say that's the last thing we want to be. We don't want to be over it. I don't want to be over anything. I don't want to be over my dad's death. I don't want to be over a breakup. I want to have moved through it. And when I learned that I needed to move through his death, not just get over it, that changed everything. And that it was going to get harder before it got easier. And I find one thing really interesting, I guess, as a little sidebar is that people always like, you know, the first year is the hardest, the first year is the hardest. And I was like, I'm sorry, but that's bullshit. And, you know, I said this to my friend the other day, the second year is harder. It gets harder because it's real. It's like a second birthday, a second Christmas, a second this, a wedding, you know, and then you're just like, I thought it was going to get easier. And it, it, it really is almost like it is confirmed, the confirmation of them not being there. I mean, it's been eight years and I still can't handle the father-daughter dance at a wedding. <laughs> Some of this part just doesn't go away. And, and that's, that's the human in us. And like you said, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And what was your experience of grief and loss or understanding of that prior to losing your dad? Not a lot. It was be strong, shut it out, don't talk to people about stuff, don't be vulnerable, get over it. And that's all I knew. And that's a really masculine, in terms of energetic masculine way of living. And you're talking about a kid. You know, I was only 18. That was my understanding. Um, It was that we don't need to dwell. We got things to do. And it was that you could get over it because you got stuff, you got a life to live, get over it. And then it happened, especially when he was diagnosed and I was very much like, it's okay, it's all good. And I remember my mum being like one day, Joanna, do you really get what's happening? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. But I had learned the behaviour of everything's fine, be fine, it's okay, we're okay. So in that dismissive avoidant kind of style and then she when she pulled me up on that I was like no 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 you don't get to pull me up on this now you don't get to explain to me that I need to sit with this and I really had no tools available to me I'm still unlearning so much of that and a lot of people who have experienced trauma growing up will be familiar with those kind of dismissive avoidant tendencies tendencies will be dismissive with the feminine vulnerability nah you don't need that and that was really you know what I expected I guess and what I thought would be the case I was very wrong (laughs) do you think that made the process harder for you afterwards Yes and no. I feel like in a way it acted as this really beautiful protective mechanism that I probably needed, but definitely it made it harder because I had no tools to work with. And I'm someone who's innately very grateful and strong. And I just wanted to be like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So that worked in my favor and simultaneously not in my favor. Um, And I think has over these eight years has shifted And it's almost like at times it's useful, at times it's dramatically unuseful. And I've kind of just had to learn to play with both, but in a healthy way. There's a way to do both in a healthy way and there's a way to do both in a very toxic way. So that was a huge lesson. Mm -hmm. And then moving um, forward a little bit to, you mentioned that you had a loss of 
identity of what do you want to do now can you touch on that slightly and how that made you feel and how that impacted your life and and where you are now yeah it's really interesting this is one I haven't really spoken about a lot but I find so many people are struck have struggled with this or in the current climate of the world are really struggling with this and I found that it's a lot attached to our expectation I expected my year to look like I expected to be 27 and I expected my friends to, I expected my partner to know that on and on and on the list goes. And in all honesty, I expected I'm 27 to be married to my, to my ex. I expected to have a house together to be, you know, all happy, you know, let's do this. And in a year or two, pop out a baby and catch you later, have a good job, being in the fashion industry still easy. I could not have planned this current lifestyle if I tried. (laughs) So I think there was a lot of identity crisis, you know, in that process. And I feel that especially, I'm going to call it about two years ago, where I finally realized that my relationship definitely didn't work. I did a lot that, that affected that. He did a lot of that affected that, that, our my business wasn't working for me anymore that my dad really wasn't here that my relationship wasn't here that my house I expected wasn't here (laughs) all these things I had attached to were not in my reality and then put on top of that we attached to our our work we say I am a fashion designer I am a lawyer and we fully become that the grief attached to deciding not to have that career anymore I think one of the biggest things I've ever gone through, so underestimated, because I was Adriana, the fashion designer. I was Adriana, the business owner. And all of a sudden I was Adriana. I don't know what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. And it was such a blessing. Of course it was. We know that. But I feel that so much comes with it. So that's kind of what went on for me. And then it was a matter of sitting with it and getting so comfortable with the unknown. We're so attached to, I want to know the answer. I want to control it. I want to know the outcome. And I promised myself, I remember this day, actually, I was sitting in my lounge room, we had like an extra lounge room. And I sat down and I promised myself I would spend three months figuring it out. That even if I figured it out sooner, I wouldn't commit to anything. I would give myself a full three months and I would meditate and I would write and I would work two to three days max a week and even if I figured it out I would just dabble I wouldn't start anything new and I did it and I think that was one of the biggest kind of realizations in identity of how do I become not what I do but who I am and how I be I love that how do I become who I am and not what I do I think that's incredible and I think that's something that so many of us could probably take a bit of a lesson from um, and learn to do ourselves so I think amazing that you've done that and you gave yourself the time to do that so you mentioned that your fashion label is named after your named after your dad so I guess what I want to ask is how your grief and loss impacted your daily life so it obviously impacted your career slightly and the, the path that you chose then how has it impacted what you do now? Because you're doing something completely different to fashion now. So how has that experience impacted what you're doing now? I think with what I'm doing now, it's just made me so hungry for more 
in life, it's made me have this absolute fire of how do I just love every day? How do I wake up and be like, this is amazing? How do I just name all the things I'm grateful for all the time? How do I get more and more and more of what I'm looking for? How do I be more and get less attached to this doing energy? And I feel that a big part of that has been the loss of my dad. And I feel he really plays a big role in this business, especially with this industry. I'm in now being a coach, being uh, an energy, doing energy work. It's very much about my intuition. It's very much about listening and flowing. And believe me, I have days where I grapple with that, but it's and a lot. And it's known that he is, he's with me on this and that he didn't go through all his pain in his life for me to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. that he went through all that pain in his life and all the lifetimes before that, depending on how you look at it, to create a life now where I can make the most of it. And it doesn't always mean my business, my business, my business, which I can get very addicted to. It also means how present am I when I'm reading my oh. I use that to, to support the people who are in school. Sorry, you cut out just slightly there. That's okay. Uh, I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, probably his energy being like, you're talking about me. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that the most important thing for me in this current career was that it's absolutely affected how I use my intuition, that it's absolutely affected how I, um, how I run day to day, how present I can become and how many people I can, I can serve just by being me. Yeah. And how, I mean, how did you find when you realized that you had these um, psychic abilities and how did you how did that impact you in way of your connection with your dad? And how did that make you feel? It impacted the connection with him massively. And I think we all have this connection without having to be like, oh, I'm psychic or a medium, which at the start was extremely confronting. And I think more people experience these abilities then we let on and I think we're very privy to it and more and more as we awaken you know this year um more people are coming to me and being like I saw that too that happens to me too oh my gosh and it's taught to squash to be squashed it's taught to not be connected to and that was a huge part of the identity loss too because I was like but I was taught to live life like this and now you're telling me to unlearn everything I knew Mm. and become this version of me geez that's confronting cute awakening you know spiritual awakening crisis 101 (laughs) and now with my dad being able to tap into his energy and almost ask for guidance and I feel like a really cool kind of tangible thing people can do is I love teaching people this is asking for a sign so mine was this white feather and I've shared this story so many times but it's this white feather and for me it shows me I'm supported it shows me he's with me and it's my little message from him to be like you're all good we're all good and picking something like that for yourself especially with loss of a parent because we want to believe in magic we want to believe we can be connected to them yet we're not being aware of all the magic around us and when I decided that I literally this was probably three years ago now I just decided one day that was what I wanted 
my totem to be. That's what I wanted to see. I had a nap. I got up. I got ready to work from a cafe. And I opened my front door and no word of, uh, even in exaggeration, there was a feather, you know, if you look almost the size of a ruler. Wow. 30 centimetres on my front step, perfectly white, just like someone had placed it there. Wow. Yeah, I was mind blown. Covered in chills, watery eyes, kind of just looked up at the sky and was like, okay, we're on, this is real. And we all have access to this. And that was a beautiful connection between him and I, which I still have now. And I still see white feathers everywhere. I have friends send me white feathers. Like it's, you know, such a beautiful thing now. And we all have access to that. So I feel like that's a really cool way of, yeah, connecting to them. Yeah, I love that. So you just choose choose something that you would like to represent, that they're there and they're, they're with you. Is that how you do it? Yeah. And I guess, you know, the most powerful way is to like kind of intuitively tap into it. So, you know, if that word feels like scary or too much, it's kind of just like shutting your eyes, taking a deep breath. What do I see? Show me. You know, for one client, it was a black cat. For another client, it was an elephant, like whatever it is. And then we start seeing it everywhere. And, you know, it's part of law of attraction, obviously, but it's this really beautiful way to associate how powerful we are um, and how connected we can be to them. Wow. I think I'm going to try that. I think I'm going to give it a go. Um, (laughs) So it's kind of just made me intrigued to ask the question of, there's a lot of people who have experienced grief who maybe they're a little bit unsure, me being one of them, about going to see somebody who is a medium um, mm-hmm. to try and find that connection. What would your advice be to somebody who's maybe got those uncertainties? Mm, I think the f- biggest thing is I would wait. It's okay to want to wait till you're ready. Um, it's go to someone you trust and that you feel a really nice energetic vibe from. Also that it's nothing scary. You're not going to be always like, am I going to find out something bad? No, it's the most like, it's just stuff, you know. And I think it's really beautiful just to be like, you know, you get there and you're with them. I had this one client who wanted to connect with her mum, and we're sitting in the call and I tapped in and I said, oh, she just keeps showing me this pinky, orangey coloured, more of an orangey coloured sweater. And I don't know why, I don't know what it is. And she was like, oh my God, that's the only thing I have left of hers is this orange uh, knit jumper that I wear sometimes to bed. And I was like, oh my gosh. Even I was a bit like, okay, I thought that was just random. (laughs) And it was this really beautiful moment for her, I think, to see that, it's not as scary as we think it is. It's these really beautiful, subtle reminders. That's just like, oh my gosh, how could that not be real? What a random thing for me to even pull up. Um, That usually it's the simplest of messaging. And um, generally it's what we already know within us. How many clients say to me, oh, I already knew that. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) Because we just want someone to reflect it back to us. Um, so I feel like knowing that it's not as 
scary as you might think. And sometimes it's just some nice tools, some reassurance, some reminder of even where they sit in your energetic field is really nice. And I know I, I do a lot of that for people and knowing that there's nothing too complex or scary to it. And then there's some people who don't really quote unquote believe it. Um, and that's each to their own and doesn't have to be part of your experience. Um, but most of the time when people are with me, they're like, oh, there's no real denying in that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like those things are really important and it doesn't have to be part of your experience. And you can also just tap in yourself. You can, you know, turn to the side, feel what it feels like. Yeah. Mm. Love that. Love that. Thank you. Um, so what has been your biggest lesson that you've taken from your grief and your loss? Mm, interesting. Um, biggest lesson, oh, I saw a psych, psych about, I'm going to call it two years ago, like really at the beginning of this whole journey. And I spoke to her a lot about all of this, you know, all, all of all the elements. And I really struggled with regulating my emotions and the emotional scale, which I feel like a lot of people do when they've been through, um, this type of trauma. And my biggest lesson that she shared with me and that I've always kind of gone back to and have it tattooed on me now, of course, <laughs> classic, um, <laughs> is that it comes in waves that it just, it comes and it goes and it ebbs and it flows and it will forever. And if it's not ebbing and flowing, we're numb and it's normal to experience contrast. That doesn't mean we have to have good days or bad days. We're experiencing contrast and there's ebbs and flows in emotion. But like we shared earlier, I was so scared of leaning into the emotion. I feel like a lot of people can relate to this or fear of it consuming me from fear of it turning into depression, from fear of it, you know, being another episode of mine. Yeah. Whereas really when I lent in, I named it, I felt it. I acknowledged that it was just a wave that I would come out the other side even lighter. And then we need to learn to re-regulate our emotions. And that takes something I'm still learning to do is regulate my emotions and my fight and my flight and my freeze mode mm -hmm. because my body just wants to be like frozen or I'm out because that is the response trauma leaves in our energetic fields mm -hmm. and loss is a form of trauma. So that was such a big realization for me that I didn't know how to regulate emotions, that I was so scared of feeling a feeling. And I just called everything anxiety. I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I see it so much with people, clients, people, friends, social media, anxiety, anxiety. Mm, I feel like it could be something else. Is this sadness? Ooh, feeling into our heart space. Maybe. What well, feels scary to feel sadness? I don't feel safe when I feel sadness. That was really, really big for me. Yeah. Being able to name those emotions that you have and identify them and not be afraid of them. They're not, yeah, you, don't, you don't need to be afraid. Yeah, exactly. And I think feeling safe to feel them was huge for me and actually reminding myself, okay, that's a scary one. I feel safe. I'm safe. I feel safe to feel that. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, having a cup of tea with the devil. So it's this, you know, way of looking at those really scary, let's call it, thoughts or experiences. What if we just had a cup of tea with it? When someone comes over for a cup of tea, do they stay and stay and stay for weeks and weeks? No, they stay for a few hours and they go home. 
depends if you're British or not. <laughs> maybe um, maybe being Australian about it. No. <laughs> but hopefully not too many weeks. <laughs> but inviting it in, you know, and really giving it that time, you know, on the stage, however you, whatever wording works for you, but really being like, all right, let's do this instead of suppress, 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 which I was a master at. Mm. because if we suppress it 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 lets itself out in other ways it consumes us in other ways yeah and now even what that's how that's affected my friendships my romantic relationships my business because if we don't clean up what's underneath it's touching everything it's just affecting that area so i had to we have to keep going under we have to keep going in we don't have to stay there we're not a victim to it but we have to go in Mm. definitely definitely so if you could give one piece of advice to, I've got kind of a two-part question here. So if you can give advice to someone who is experiencing grief and loss themselves, what would it be? And the second part is, if you could give advice to someone who is supporting someone experiencing grief and loss, what would that be? Oh, great question. Uh, if you're in the grief, reach out to that person for support. Communicate what you need because it's really hard to know. For me, I didn't want to be pitied. I didn't want to be all these things I just didn't want. Communicating, hey, I really need support. Hey, I really need food this week. Hey, I really need someone to talk to. Hey, my love language is quality time. So I really just, I wanted just people, I loved to colour in when I was like going through it all. And in our, like my dad's, culture cultural beliefs was no tv no music for like two weeks after so whilst i'm not religious i followed that and that meant no numbing out which was actually really beautiful and lots of coloring in and my friends came over and we all i got goosebumps just talking about it and we all just colored in i didn't want to talk about it they just sat with me and they just colored and it was so beautiful but i had to communicate that need so as someone in the grief that's a huge one reach out i know it feels exhausting at the time and it feels borderline impossible but it's so possible knowing it's going to come in waves and it's just not a linear process and yes it sounds like a cliche and you hear it embody that belief ask for support that's professional i couldn't have done this without paid support the end of the day, what we need to understand is our friends aren't trained to go through this with us. They're just their support. Mm-hmm. It was my psych. It was my coaches. It was, you know, all of those people that could really go underneath. I can't expect a friend to go underneath or, or at the time my partner or, or anything like that whilst they were all so supportive. So I think there are a lot of advice for the people when you're in it and when you're feeling it. Um, and knowing that what goes on behind the scenes for people is very real and you just see the external part. And so many people were like to me, you're so strong. And it annoyed the crap out of me because I was like, I'm not strong. I'm like crumbling inside. Yes, you feel oh, yeah. that one. And it killed me, that question, that that comment. So... Yeah, that really, oh, that one got to me. And it's actually being like, you know what, I'm actually just doing what I need to do to survive. Thank you for that. 
And I guess part two, the person on the other side as the friend or the family member. So whilst the other person can communicate what they need, you need to ask for what they need. You know, what, do, what would feel really supportive to you right now? Do you need a phone call? Do you need space? Sometimes we've got to force a little bit because it can be quite reclusive to be in grief and you can just want to be like, ah, I don't want anybody. Um, doing things. So one really interesting thing I found is the question, do you need anything? Opposed to being like, could I bring dinner this week? Because the thing is when, I, when we're asked, do you need anything? No, I'm fine, I'm good. And I found a lot of people like, if you need to talk about anything, I'm here. Well, then you're here, then talk to me about it opposed to being the person supporting and saying, could I drop dinner off this week? Whatever your love language is. Mine is often, do you want me to come over and watch a movie? So I'm a quality time person. So for me, it's always like, do you want to jump on a call? Do you want to just have a chat? Do you want to go for a walk? That's my way of showing love. So suggesting that, opposed to being like, do you need anything? And the other thing then is as well um, that, kind of that feeling of knowing your your boundaries whilst then still leaning in and, and and being that supportive person you know best to be and instead of and then having that conversation actually being like are you feeling okay with this part what came up for you with that you know what's been on your mind with it has you ha have you had any repetitive thoughts you want to kind of share and air However, it feels good to you, but that's that little bit more like allowing them to have space because it's so easy to be like, no, nah, it's cool. Like, yeah, I'll reach out if I need anything. Yes. yes. Yeah. Really, really good pieces of advice. There. I think uh, communication is so, so important. And as you said, it can feel so hard at the start, especially at the start, yeah. because sometimes you don't even see it yourself that you need mm. to talk about it. Um, but then also it can feel so isolating. So finding, being able to actually speak about it can be quite hard, but it is so important. Once you open those conversations and start them, it gets a lot easier and it starts to flow a lot easier. I heard from a few friends are like, you know, but I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? And I think I just wanted to add saying something is better than saying nothing. And you can kind of be honest and say, I really don't know what, I've never been in this situation. I actually don't know what to say, but I can only imagine how you're feeling right. I just, anything, anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 The intention of like good and love is there. Then the person on the receiving end will be able to tell, I think. And as you say, yeah, just tell them you don't know what to say. And that person will guide you and, and let you know how to help. So thank you so, so much for sharing your story and the things that you've learned along the way. I find your story so interesting and you've, you've shared so many amazing little tools and nuggets that people can actually implement and try themselves and use themselves. Before I get you to tell people how they can connect with you, have you got any last words of wisdom that you would like to share? Mm, I guess my favourite quote of all was, this too shall pass. And it is the simplest of all quotes, but man, it got me through some of the darkest hours of my whole entire life. And that it really will, it, it will pass and it will shift and it, the energy will change. And 
it's sickening and it's hard at times, but it does, you know, I'm living, breathing proof of not just coming out, surviving from it, but having this beautiful, beautiful life I have now. And that, was it easy? No, (laughs) but was it, you know, I was able to simplify it? Absolutely. And that the biggest gift we can ever give to ourselves is that consistency towards self and compassion. I wish I learned what that word meant sooner, to be honest, still learning what it means. And (laughs) that full compassion to self of being like, oh, okay, this is a little hard again. I'm not coping with that. Oh, my inner child or my inner this, my inner that feels a bit scared. Oh, that feels edgy or vulnerable. How can I give more compassion towards that? Oh, I have had a few days that this has been really, really hard. How could I be kind instead of berate myself? You've got nothing done. It's taking over your life. You're useless. And just change 1% of our inner dialogue. 1% every day. And if that's all we did, how great is that? Sprinkle some compassion. It's all good. Love that. Sprinkle some compassion. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to remember that every day now. Um, so how can people connect with you if they want to reach out, maybe see a little bit more about the work that you do? Yes. So I pretty much just always direct people to Instagram because it's so much fun. Um, and I share lots and I love using it to share. So, um, I'm sure you'll pop it in the notes, but it's Adriana loves. Um, and I love sharing, I guess, as real as I can be with what this journey is like with what owning a business and coming from a place of alignment and moving through resistance is truly like. Um, and then from there, there's of course my website and all that fun stuff to kind of get in touch some more. And I just love hearing from people and supporting them and having, you know, genuine conversations and providing as much value as I humanly energetically know how to right now amazing amazing thank you so much for coming on and sharing it's been beautiful to speak to you um and i'm sure that everybody else listening has taken a lot from it too i hope so thank you so so much for having me if anyone has any questions they can reach out (laughs) thank you if you enjoyed listening to today's episode please don't forget to like share and subscribe I invite you to also come and be a part of the community by connecting with us on Instagram at Grow With Grief. Before we go, I want to take the time to thank you. Thank you for tuning in and being part of a community that opens conversation, raises awareness and brings individual perspectives and stories to the forefront of a topic that is often avoided and treated as uncomfortable. The conversations that we have may sometimes bring your own emotions, memories and triggers to the surface and I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone. If you or anyone you care for is in need of support, please reach out to your local support line or if you are in Australia, you can contact Griefline by phone on 1300 845 745 who are available from midday to 3am every day.